Have a seat here, if you if you don't mind, we'll go ahead and get started. So, all right. Well, I would like to uh, like to give you your fifth and final welcome of the morning. Welcome to the Firehouse Church. My name is Rich. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, thanks for for joining us. Um, you know, I thought I might do a quick review before we jump into our series here. Um, I was actually scheduled to teach last week, but I ended up uh, coming up ill on Sunday morning. It was one of those, uh, you know, after the Bronco loss, it took about a week for me to get back the energy I needed to go on with life. And uh, Greg happily filled in for me last week. So, I'm, no, just joking. I actually had one of those, the head cold thing that's going around. I think uh, whatever that, the lung plague or whatever it is, but it was not not fun. My voice was not doing very good, and so I was glad that Greg Miller and I flip-flopped, and he kicked off the series um, that we started last week called Marks of a Disciple, and so we're going to be in that series, you know, for a while here. We haven't figured out how long that will go. We, I think we narrowed it down possibly to um, 55 simple marks of a disciple that we'll be covering here over the next year, so just joking, guys. It, it might be a month or two long, sorry. You can chuckle if you want to. All right, um... Let's see, what else we have here? So, um, again, just a quick review. We had, so Greg kicked off that series last week where he, he talked about just the, um, really in some ways, simply the call to follow Jesus and how it's, it's a very simple call, and yet it, it's got profound implications, you know, and so he just kind of uh, maybe whet our appetite for the series here, and I'm going to continue in the uh, idea of what it means to follow Jesus, maybe even define what a disciple is a little bit. But the week before that, I just want to remind you, we talked about um, trusting God for the laughable in 2015. And I don't know if you remember um, any of the points from that, but we talked about trying to identify something maybe uh, improbable, something possibly impossible that God might actually want to call you to do, that he might want to do with you. We encourage people to identify what that might be. Ask God for a promise related to that, and then begin to feed your faith, um, you know, related to, you know, just believing God for the impossible. And then lastly, we talked about asking God for the marching orders of, of how. How do you want to do this, God, and when, and uh, just falling in, in line with his plans there. So uh, we encourage people to do this on a personal level, like what is God calling you into this year personally that might be impossible in your eyes or laughable. We also talked about how we can consider things as a church that God might be calling us into. And and so I want to share some of the things that, um, you know, we've talked about um, in our pastor's meeting even since then that that have ramifications as a church, but also uh, ramifications personally and maybe in your spiritual life. But one of the things that we have been praying about is that we think God wants to grow us as a church um, that is full of disciple makers. And, and, you know, that's kind of new vocabulary for us. I think a lot of times we just want to be disciples and, you know, just kind of whatever that means to you and let's do it and let's do it another year. And at the end of the year, we always have to do reports to, to our our national office just on some metrics on how's it going with your church and are, are people joining you and are people coming to Christ and are they getting baptized. And, you know, um, 
I just, it's become apparent that we really want to be a little more deliberate about helping people, no matter where they're at when they come to church, no matter where you are, um, helping those who maybe aren't believers yet become believers in Jesus Christ. And those who might be believers taking a step to begin following Jesus, maybe starting with baptism. And then eventually all disciples are called to actually go and make disciples. And, and really that's kind of the, the end goal that we're aiming for. And sometimes I think we stop short and celebrate just any one of those phases is a big deal. But I think God wants us to be a church that's full of people who are obeying Jesus and, and going and making disciples. And so we're going to aim for that a little more. And in some ways, I think about the systems and the processes and the relationships needed for that. And I go, that's laughable. You know, I'm done. Uh, let's, let's, let's think about next year. I don't know. Um, but there's some exciting things coming up there. Another thing we feel like God is calling us into that we mentioned several weeks ago is that we believe God wants us to start uh, another location of the Firehouse Church. And we explored locations last year. And one of them that seems to, to have momentum and has a, a team that um, could could uh, help be a catalyst to this is in the south side of town. You know, whatever that means to you, anywhere south of here, I think. Um, so, but no, it's, it's a wide area there. But we've been praying about it and we've gone, God, we think you want us to do this. And we don't know how. I, I feel like the disciples who, who talked to Jesus and he was saying, hey, 5,000 plus people here, why don't you go feed them? And, and they said, well, we only have five fish and, and two loaves. You know, it's kind of like we've got... Uh, I know 100 plus adults and 50 plus kids and and how in the world are we going to start another location and and yet I think Jesus walked them through some training on we'll, we'll gather what you have and give thanks for it and, and I'll take it and bless it and I'll, I'll break it and multiply it and and I think Jesus wants to do something with that this with us this year and um, I guess maybe an exciting thing or laughable thing is that it seems like he might want to do that sooner than later um, as we've been talking about Lord, how do you want to do this? And when do you want to do this? One of the things that uh, I feel like God has clarified to me is, is even a question that um, was not in that list, but why? Why would you want to do this, Jesus? We, we're enjoying life together here. Why would you want to break up a good thing? And I think it comes back to this call that we are called to go and make disciples. And I think in multiplying locations, we would do that better. We'd be able to reach more people with the good news about Jesus and, and make more disciples that way. And more people would have to step up. And, um, you know, I think that's why. And as we look at the how and the when, one of the things that's become clear is we get a sense that uh, related to Easter uh, this coming Easter, usually Easter services is one of our, our most full uh, house, you know, full attendance every year. And, you know, last week, say we had 175 people. Easter is usually 200 plus, some standing room, people in the back, people standing on shoulders. Um, and, and we get a sense that maybe it would make sense this Easter to have two locations. Where people that are coming from anywhere from a half hour to an hour from the south side of town, they, they would have a real hard time following up with any visitors here on Easter morning. And they'd have a hard time in inviting friends and family, though we have friends and family coming from a long way away as well. But, um, but it seemed to make sense that what if Easter morning, we have two locations of our service, and we have people here, and we have people down south, and, and as pastors, we go, you know what, that sounds, sounds good, we were in agreement that we should do that, and, and yet there's a lot of uh, details that we don't know, and a lot of ramifications, but what I do know is that there's going to be opportunities in two locations for people to, to step up and serve, people to, um, you know, be involved in, in greeting. There's going to be two different groups of visitors, and we need two groups of 
disciples who would welcome them and show them the love of Christ and maybe, uh, you know, have connections there that they could follow up with them later, you know, after an Easter service. But there's some exciting things and maybe some laughable things. Uh, We still have a lot of details to figure out there, but I just want to plant a seed and let you guys know I think God is up to some laughable things with us here, some exciting things. And I think they tie in directly to this idea that we're talking about this morning of, of being a disciple. What does that mean? And um, what are some steps we can take? So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we're going to jump in. Really, we're going to look at one verse this morning. We're going to use one verse uh, to help us with our definition of being a disciple. One verse, same verse, on reasons why. Why would anyone want to follow Jesus? Um, So let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, we do just want to look to you again this morning. Lord, we ask that you would just meet us here in a special way. You say when two or more are gathered in your name, that there you are in, in our midst. And so we ask you would join us. Lord, I pray you'd speak to each one of us as we look at your words and, and want to be your followers. Lord, teach us what that means. Teach us how we can grow regardless of where we're at in our lives, in our faith, in our journey. Um, Lord, we just want to meet with you this morning. Um, we just turn this time over to you, to your spirit, and we ask you to redeem our few minutes left together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so, um, you know, last week Greg talked about a general definition of a disciple. You know, he went, uh, he went so far as to get some details. It pulled a definition off of the internet, you know, maybe a Wikipedia definition, or maybe it was Webster's online, I'm not sure. But it was a general idea about following someone and propagating their teaching, their ideas. And, and we're going to take a step from the general to a little more specific. And as we look at our church and we go, well, how do we make disciples? At some point you have to answer the question, well, what is a disciple? And before you can make them, you got to know what are they? And then how do we make them? And, and so we want to try to get a little more uh, uh, handle on that. I think it can be this broad, nebulous, in a general sense, a disciple is a learner. Uh, a disciple is a student, a follower. And yet, how do you reproduce that? How do we get busy doing more of that? Well, I think we're going to use this verse to, to give us a, a little more clarity on what it might mean to be a disciple. And, and we'll start working with this definition. Next week, we'll probably change it. But for today, this is the definition of being a disciple um, at the Firehouse Church. Um, but no, it's, hopefully it will last longer than one week. Um, but anyways, a disciple is a person, at least as we use this verse for a framework, a disciple is a person who follows Jesus. He said simply, and Greg talked about this last week, it all starts with responding simply to his call, follow me. A disciple must follow Jesus. And we'll talk more about what it means to follow Jesus. A disciple... Uh, is one who's transformed by Jesus. I love how Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you into something that you never imagined, you never aimed for, you never thought about. I will make you a fisher of men. Jesus transforms us as we follow him. And the last part of this is a disciple is one who follows Jesus, is transformed by Jesus and joins Jesus in his mission. There's something about going with Jesus to do what he set out to do in the first place, why he even came here, and the mission he left with his followers. And so, those are our three facets of a disciple. And, um, 
you know, we're, we're going to look at, again, why, why would anyone want to do this? Greg shared a few verses last week, some of the classic counting the cost, hard verses of Jesus. You talked about ones where Jesus said, hey, you can't even follow me. You can't be my disciple unless you hate your mother, father, brothers, sisters, wife, children in comparison to your love for me. You can't even get started unless you love me supremely. Other place, he said, you can't uh, be my disciple unless you give up everything. And he has this really high bar of what it means. And, and you kind of got to ask the question, why? Why would I even want to do that? You're right. That's a, that's a high bar. Why would I even want to do that? And we're going to look at three reasons. Um, again, there's many more reasons than what we're going to look at this morning. But there's three. And again, they relate directly to this verse. And I believe they're enough to cause everyone here to consider why you should follow Jesus if you're not already. And if you are, maybe a little more of what he means by that. What we should be aiming for. So, um, you know, the first part we're going to look at here. First reason why we should follow Jesus. Uh, again, it relates to the follow me. Because... I just put in here, you could say because it's an adventure, I threw in an exciting and satisfying, fulfilling adventure. If you look at the the first disciples here, you know, I love it. It says, you know, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And then it goes on, the next verse, verse 20, says that um, they left everything and they followed him. You know, when you begin to follow Jesus, things change. And, you know, think about those guys left their their job, their, their capital investment, they left the family business, they just left everything and they began to follow Jesus. Jesus told others who said, hey, I want to follow you. And he said, well, you know what? Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. We don't even know where we're going to be staying tonight. Are you sure you want to follow me? And, and some decided, no, actually I'm not. Uh, that is, and yet, you think about the spirit of adventure there. You go, uh, we don't know where we're going to stay tonight. And yet, I'd rather be nowhere else on the planet than with this person. And so, um, they began following him. And they, you know, he led them through just a number of miracles. John records one of the first miracles that he performed was turning water into wine. You know, these disciples are tagging along. And all of a sudden, they see this water turn into this, like, fine wine. And they're like, it said, you know, they began to believe um, even more who he, who he was, you know. And think of some of the other things they encountered. Uh, a guy with leprosy. Imagine being there. And this person with leprosy says, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And he touches him. And the skin transforms before their eyes. You know, I think of other times about um, uh, the demons. You know, they come to the, this guy that has uh, demons. And, and Jesus is talking to this demon who says, you know, Call us legion, for we are many. And Jesus, with his disciples, cast out over 2,000 demons. And they ran into the pigs on the hillside and jumped off the cliff. And, you know, think of the adventure that this was for the first disciples, the very first people who responded. And, and it goes on from there. You know, at one point they have five loaves and two fish. And Jesus says, bring them here. And, you know, then he starts... He, he blesses them, he gives thanks, he starts breaking them, breaking them in half, passing them out, breaking them. And by the time it's done, more than five to 10,000 people were fed with scraps left over. And I just go, that, that is an adventure. That's an adventure. Following Jesus is supposed to be an adventure. Now, an obvious question we have to ask is, well, why, why does that seem a little different today for me than it was for them? Anyone feel that way? I'm a pastor full time. And I go, I haven't cast out a demon in a long time. You know, um, it's, it's been a while, you know. Um, 
you know, but uh, I, I've had times where I go, there was something related to an evil spirit and something, and I go, my hair was standing on end. And there's times where I go, I've got a glimpse of the adventure, and there is nothing else like it. And, but why? Why would it be different nowadays than it was for them? And, you know, I think there's a couple reasons. I, I do think nowadays we, we talk more about being a Christian. You know, boy, uh, somehow we think being a Christian is the adventure. And I just want to tell you, there's no promise of this full, exciting, satisfying adventure in just being a Christian. I don't know where we got that idea from, but that was never uh, what Jesus promised, and it's not what was modeled to us in, uh, you know, in the accounts of Jesus and his disciples there. But I have a few, uh, you know, a few quotes related to this that kind of maybe to stir up our thinking on why, why it's a little different. Um, William MacDonald wrote this. Some of you know True Discipleship, the book, the classic work on, on disciples. But it, he said this, he said... Um, True Christianity is an all-out commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Savior is not looking for men and women who will give their spare evenings to Him, or their weekends, or their years of retirement. Rather, He seeks those who will give Him first place in their lives. It's a different sort of thought than, well, why, why isn't being a Christian the adventure? Another place he wrote, um, Too often we look on Christianity as an escape from hell and a guarantee of heaven. Beyond that, we feel like we have every right to enjoy the best that this life has to offer. Somehow we've retranslated what it means to be a disciple. It looks a little different than what those guys were called into. And, and yet we wonder, why, why is it not so adventurous to me? Another book, it's kind of a, a modern day uh, version of True Discipleship. Some of you may have read it. It's called All In by Mark Batterson. And he says this, he said, My greatest concern as a pastor is that people can go to church every week of their lives and never go all in with Jesus Christ. They can follow the rules, but never follow Christ. I'm afraid we've cheapened the gospel by allowing people to buy in without selling out. We've made it too convenient, too comfortable. We've given people just enough of Jesus to be bored, but not enough to fill the surge of holy adrenaline that courses through your veins when you decide to follow him, no matter what, no matter where, no matter when. The Danish philosopher and theologian Soren Kierkegaard believed that boredom was the root of all evil. In other words, boredom isn't just boring, it's wrong. You cannot be in the presence of God and be bored at the same time. For that matter, you cannot be in the will of God and be bored at the same time. If you follow in the footsteps of Jesus, it will be anything but boring. The choice is yours, consecration or boredom. It's one or the other. If you don't consecrate yourself to Christ, you'll get bored. If you do, you won't. I think we've settled in on a life that is very different than what Jesus meant to come follow me. And I will make you into a fisher of men. And I think we have to... Maybe just be honest about it and try to identify it a little bit. I, um, the first disciples' lives, were, they were on a crazy adventure. And I think one of the questions become, what if? What if God really hardwired adventure into the soul of you and I? Adventure for each one of us. What if we all look for adventure somewhere? You know, I think of some of the different options. I want to ask you, where do you look? Where do you find your adventure at, if you find adventure at all? Is it in the pleasures of this world? I think about uh, maybe it's um, giving ourselves to, to, whether you're a Christian or not, people can say, you know what, I'm just all in with the pleasures of this world, soaking it up for all it's worth. Maybe it's addictions. Maybe it's just 
you know, trying to entertain ourselves to death. I, I think I was thinking about the behind entertainment. What's the, what's the real thing why we entertain ourselves? Why is the United States the greatest thing we export to the world? Entertainment. What if it's because we're finding a cheap substitute for the true adventure? We watch movies that exhilarate us so that we can be satisfied with never having to experience that on our own. Steps that might cause that. What if, uh, you know, it's like the prodigal son. He, he went all in with wild living and, and in the end, he was not satisfied. He was left empty and wanting and came back to his father. Sometimes we could do another thing. We, you, know, you know, I see the foolishness um, to this idea of going all in with the world. Uh, maybe I'm just going to not go all in. I'm going to avoid those things. I'm going to not do anything wrong. Think about the prodigal son's brother. Um, he said, you know what? Uh, you've never thrown a celebration for me. And I've never disobeyed your commands once. He wasn't feeling the exciting, satisfying life. He was feeling a little bit bitter. I think of Thoreau, how he writes that the mass of men leave lives of quiet desperation. Some try to go all in and suck out the pleasure of this world. And they're left wanting. Even addictions leave you wanting and broken. Others go, you know what? I'm not going to do that. That's dumb. And they're left wanting, living lives of quiet desperation. Others might just become cynical. You know what? Uh, Life stinks and just get used to it and anything good happens, well, is better than you thought. Real satisfying, right? Those are fun people to be around. Um, Not so much. But what if we've been hardwired for an adventure that only following Jesus can fulfill, can satisfy? I I would guess that that might be the case. Jesus is the one who said this. He said... um, um, that the devil comes to, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And he said, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. Another place Jesus said, um, again, this is, I think, what it means to be a true disciple. But he said, uh, this is Mark 8, 34, 36. But he says, he called his disciples and the crowds to come over and listen. If any of you wants to be my follower, he told them, you must put aside your own selfish pleasures. And shoulder your cross and follow me closely. If you insist on saving your life, you'll lose it. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the gospel will ever know what it means to really live. I think we have to get back to not trying to find our pleasure in this world. And taking up a cross and identifying with Christ in a way that might be shameful in the eyes of this world. And, and living all out for him and even for the gospel. And I know myself when I find myself aligned with things like that and, and obeying Christ that way and doing things that are out of my comfort zone, I do know I've gotten glimpses of something that is that true life. It's that adventure. And, you know, I heard of someone this week that uh, a story that reminded me of this, this adventure, that holy adrenaline. My heart started beating just when I heard this story and that sense of compassion of Christ's love. And, and so I asked uh, our very own Josh Davis that he would share a story from his last week or two with us here that I think relates uh, right exactly to this point. Would you guys welcome Josh up real quick here? You guys uh, hear me okay? I'll keep an eye on you here, Ken. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, 
when Rich was talking earlier about that quote, you know, a lot of men live lives of quiet desperation. You know, thinking about what I was going to say this morning, that that same, you know, quote came to mind. I grew up as a kid in a strong Christian family. And, um, you know, growing up that way, it's real easy for your faith to kind of go on cruise control. And, you know, growing up in a Christian family, you know, you kind of form this, this list, this checklist. You know, if I'm doing these things, you know, then um, I'm in good shape. And, um, and so I think, um, you know, this year... Um, I started feeling kind of unsettled for a group of people that Julia and I have grown pretty close with. My son Jack, who's 10 years old, is in the Douglas County 4-H shooting team. And um, we, every Thursday night, starting in April, you know, we, we meet all these people. And a lot of times we'll have a potluck and, and watch the kids shoot. And so we've just grown really close with about maybe a dozen families in this group. And from what Julie and I can tell, most of them, you know, aren't, uh, aren't believers in Christ. And so it's just been hard to figure out, you know, how, how am I going to share my faith with these people, you know, and, and not jeopardize the relationship that I've established with them up to this point. It's a very personal thing. And so... Um, about a, um, well, last week, um, another couple that we really like a lot, they're in their mid-70s, are the neighbors to the south of us, and their names are Stan and Ev. And um, last Thursday, they were having a conversation about downsizing. And uh, the, the house and the property has just gotten too much for them to handle, and so they decided we're going to move into a retirement home. And um, 30 minutes later, this was last Thursday afternoon, Ev, she, uh, she went upstairs. And she closed the door. And she took a handgun. And she shot herself. By the the time Stan got up to the bedroom, she was gone. And these are two people that Julie and I have known for four years now, not closely, Um, and, um, you know, since that event, um, I've had trouble sleeping, and um, just thinking a lot about the friends that we have, and we don't know for sure whether they believe in Christ. And as a Christian, I believe what the Bible says. Um, when, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the light, no one comes to the Father but through me. Um, 
Tuesday, Tuesday night, Julie and I talked with Stan. He called the home, and it was a very emotional discussion. And um, so that next morning, Wednesday morning, I got up. <clears throat> I couldn't sleep much. I got up at about 4 a.m. and just started writing this letter. And um, I've never done anything like this in my life. But it was to the whole 4-H shotgun team. And, uh, you know, um, I don't think I could go to another 4-H shotgun practice and look all these people in the face and, and pretend that everything is just fine and go through what we went with Ev again, knowing that we lost one. Um, so this is the letter. It says, Dear 4-H shotgun team, yesterday, Julia, Julia got a call from our neighbor Stan. Ev, his wife, committed suicide last Thursday night. Julia and I have lived here in Bannockburn for about four years now. I think Stan and Ev were some of the first neighbors we met. They were both about their mid-70s and the kindest people you could ever meet. Over the course of the last four years, we'd had them over for dinner. They'd sometimes pull down our driveway on their way out to say hi. I'd sometimes catch Stan at the fence line and talk for a bit. Again, bottom line, they were the kindest people you, you could possibly meet. Julia and I really liked Stan and Ev. I think what it came down to is that Ev didn't want to face growing old. She and Stan had been having discussions earlier in the day on Thursday about the house and the land getting to be too much, keeping up with it, and it was about time to downsize. And then within 30 minutes of that conversation, Ev went upstairs, closed the door, took a gun and shot herself. Stan, of course, isn't doing well at all. He can't understand why Ev would choose to leave him in this way after 60 years of a really blessed life and marriage together. They were high school sweethearts. Julia was on the phone with Joanna yesterday telling her about it, and Jack, our oldest son, overheard the conversation. All the kids were in tears within seconds. They all loved Miss Ev. The first thing Jack said to Julia's mom, we never got the chance to make sure Miss Ev knew Jesus. And now she's gone. Next thing he said was, what about everybody at Shotgun? What if they die before we ever get the chance to make sure they know Jesus? Julia's response was, Honey, you're right. We've got to tell everyone we know. And Jack's response, but we haven't told anybody. Leave it to a child to call a spade a spade. Jack nailed it. I know I may be crossing some lines here, but life is too short for me to keep what I believe in my heart of hearts from my friends. There was once a notorious criminal in England named Charles Peace. On his final day of execution, the prison chaplain was reading consolations of religion to him right before his execution but it was being read by the chaplain with no emotion whatsoever Charles Peace said to the chaplain if I believed what you and the church of God say that you believe even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast I would walk over it if need be on hands and knees and think it worthwhile living just to save one soul from an eternal hell like that. Another question I've been asked is, Josh, if you saw someone crossing the street 
they didn't see a truck heading straight at them, but you did, wouldn't you at least try and push them out of the way? How much would you have to hate somebody to just look the other way? If the Bible clearly states that Jesus is the only way we can get to heaven, and you have friends that you're unsure about whether or not they believe the same, why wouldn't you at least tell them about Christ? Why would you just look the other way? We've been looking the other way with Stan and Ev for four years. I'm not going to look the other way with you guys. As Christians, Julie and I believe in what the Bible says. We're raising our kids to believe the same. When you boil it down, God is good through and through. Man is sinful through and through. The Bible says it wasn't always that way. It became that way after Eve ate the apple and Adam didn't have the guts to stop her. What God originally designed to be paradise, a close relationship between himself and the man and woman he created to manage the new earth that he had just made, became the world we live in today. All because God created us to have our own free will. The ability to choose between right and wrong. Not robots forced to always choose right over wrong. As a result, we all now live in a world with a lot of suffering that's a result of bad choices. But God hasn't left us without any options. We have one choice that we can all make right now that makes all the difference in the world. It's the easiest choice to make because it costs us nothing as a free gift, but yet it does require that we put our pride and self-sufficiency aside and put our trust and faith for our life after death in someone else. We can't earn our way into heaven. Our effort will never meet God's standard of what it takes to get into heaven. A life with absolutely no sin. Blows my favorite explanation of how to accept Christ's death on a cross as payment for our sins, past and future. This is the stuff that really matters in the short life we have. It's my belief as a Christian that there is a, in quotes, truck heading straight for each one of us. It's a place where people who want absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with God will finally get their chance to be in a place where God is 100% absent after they die. I really hope you pray the prayer at the bottom of this email. Julia and I and all the kiddos love you all, love all you guys too much to, in quotes, leave you behind. We want the whole shotgun team to still meet up in heaven after our time here is up. It's not a fairy tale. It is, this is the real deal. If you still have doubts... There's nothing wrong with asking God to show himself to you. All you have to do is ask him to. And believe me, he will. I fully understand that I have now sealed the deal on Alice's affectionate title for me. She's our shotgun coach. That guy. But to me, it's worth it. We love all you guys and hope you give this some strong consideration if you haven't already done so. Sincerely, Josh, Julia, Jack, Ellie, Audrey, Hannah, and Blaze. And then at the bottom, I just kind of wrote, um, you know, a, a synopsis is like, if you were, if, uh, how can I know for sure that I'll go to heaven when I die? And it goes through all the verses, and then at the bottom, um, you know, it gives the prayer, God, I know that I have sinned against you, and I'm deserving of punishment, but Jesus Christ took the punishment that I deserve, so that through faith in him, I could be forgiven. I place my trust in you for salvation. Thank you for your wonderful grace and forgiveness. Amen. And uh, a lot of the people in, have, have emailed me back, you know, and said, wow, it's, we're so sorry to hear about your neighbors. And, but 
what it's done for me and Julia now is, you know, it's, it's opened the door where the next time we see them, you know, we can, we've raised our flag, you know, and, um, you know, we hope that by planting the seed that we'll see some fruit from it. Amen. Thanks, Josh. Anyways, I thought that was a great example for us all just to be thinking about um, following Jesus as in obeying his commands and, and being led by his spirit, whatever he tugs on your heart to do. And it may be uncomfortable. It may be... Um, it may change your relationships, and yet I think there's no better thing to do. I'm just blessed by your example, Josh and Julia there. So, you know, we're really going to use that just to segue and to close things up here. I had a couple other points. I'm just going to skip through. Um, if we can move to, uh, Lindsay, could you put it on just uh, point number three? You know, um, why follow Jesus? Because it's an exciting adventure. It will transform your life and your destiny. You know, those disciples, I was so blessed to see when the disciples started following Jesus, they weren't perfect. They had a lot of, they were very selfish. They were very faithless. They had very, they were very self-centered, all sorts of, they were very fearful. And by the time they were done, they were very bold. They were very selfless. They gave their lives for this cause. Jesus had transformed them as they followed him. And, and the point, I think, to all of us is... Um, all it takes is to begin to follow Jesus and you can leave the change up to him. He can transform your life, your heart, make you a new person, give you a new record, a new love, a new purpose like Josh was talking about here. And it will not only trans- transform your life, but it will transform your destiny. And by destiny, I mean uh, exactly what he was talking about here, where you will spend eternity and who you will spend eternity with. And Jesus was extremely clear that there will be a heaven and a hell Nowadays, it's very popular to debate. Is there really a hell? Did Jesus, does the Bible really talk about it? Is it really eternal? And I just want to tell you guys, a plain reading of the New Testament, of the teachings of Jesus, there's no question that he believed there was a heaven and a hell. And he said, hey, by the way, I came from heaven, and I'm telling you these things here. And, and then he died, and he proved that he had a credibility beyond anyone else. But he said there was a heaven and a hell. Jesus said this, um, you know, I think that it's popular to ask the question, well, if God is so loving, why would he make people go to hell? And, and I think, you know, a lot of people asking that question, and that's fine. It's, it's a challenging question, but I would say it, it's a little presumptuous um, that God made people just to send them to hell. Jesus said this about hell. He said, um, he said, Talking about the end and separating the righteous and the unrighteous. He said, he will say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And then on the other side, he talks about those who will have eternal life. Revelation says, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. You see, God didn't design hell for people, it's designed for the devil. And his followers, his angels. And yet at the same time, those who carry out the same rebellion and and not wanting to have God, those who live unrighteously because of rebellious attitude, they they will rightfully get the same punishment. But hell was never intended for you and I. And as a matter of fact, if you look at God in the Bible, he's made it very clear. He wants no one to go there. As a matter of fact, he gave 
His very own son. And his son gave his very own blood so that no one would have to go there. And they would have a choice of another way. And it gets, I get a little bit frustrated when Christians and non-Christians go, you know, that I just don't believe in hell. You know what? Jesus didn't leave that open for question. He said it's true. The question becomes knowing that, how then will you live? You can do a few things. You can do theologic aerobics and acrobatics and say, you know what, if this word, if you define this one, you define this word that way, there really is no eternal hell. I'd say beware of that. It's popular and beware of that. You could say, well, I'm a Christian. I've got my ticket to heaven. And you'd be like an ostrich and you stick your head in the sand and hope it works out for everybody else. Or you can do what Josh talked about and what Jesus called his disciples to and lay down your lives warning them of the dangers of hell and wooing them into the kingdom of God with his love. And that's what we've been called to do as disciples, guys. And if you follow Jesus, um, he will transform your life. He will transform your destiny. I love the verse that says, it's the Living Bible that says, come along with me and I will show you how to fish for the souls of men. As a firehouse church, some people ask, why did you call it the firehouse church? It's because you meet in a firehouse. No, this was not a firehouse. It looks like it. That is not an accident. But we named it that long before we landed a building like this. We named it that because we knew Jesus gave his disciples a mission to save people from the eternal flames that he talked about. And that's what our mission's all about. And I don't know where you're at in your faith and your journey, but I do know that Jesus calls, he called disciples from all over the place in all different walks and different phases of life. And all he said was, follow me and I will make you. Fishers of men. And I just ask that you might consider joining us here at the Firehouse Church as we follow Jesus, as we join with him in his mission, as we think about launching another location to do this very same thing. This is our heart here. We invite you to join us, and we're still figuring it out, but we'd be blessed to be on this adventure that will change your life and your destiny together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just stand in awe of you, Lord. God, I'm just amazed that you came into this broken and sinful world, and while we were still sinners, you died for us. While people mocked you, you died for them. You died for your enemies, Lord Jesus. You died for us. Other religions, other philosophies would say, destroy your enemies, or fend for yourself, but you died for your enemies, and And Jesus, we just ask you, help us. Help us to be your followers. Help us to follow you today as you meant that to be. Lord, we ask that as we follow you, that you would transform us. You would make us more like you. We ask that we could take this mission on with you. You said, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And Lord, I pray this would be a church full of disciples who are going with you to rescue people from the flames of hell, to woo people into your heavenly kingdom. We ask for the grace to do that. Do whatever's needed in our thinking, in our processes, in our structure, in our hearts to bring that about. We just ask you, we beg you to, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to thank you guys for joining us this morning. Uh, You're welcome to join us Wednesday night in small groups, and we'll be right back here for the next part of the Marks of a Disciple next Sunday. So have a great week, and, and thanks again for joining us.